Well, Dave, it is Friday morning still. We've been here for two days. It's t- it's taken a while to to actually put something on the uh, on the on the recorder here, but uh, we decided to take our time this year. This and get the vibe of the show and go see what was out there and really figure out who we wanted to talk to and just go from there. So, what do you think, man? Well, I'll tell you what. This is first thing I think is the Nationals are fully back. This is the first one post COVID where all the restrictions are gone so that all of the foreign vendors and manufacturers were able to come in. To me, is here, Kinetics here, uh, Edward Special Hobby, etc. Zukimura. Zukimura. There's one other. The, the, the company that's got, got the I Love Kits banners oh, here. Yeah. And that is the only thing that was missing from. Uh, Las Vegas and Omaha. So, yes. so we're kind of getting a trade show vibe again. Yes. Yeah. And the vendor rooms are it's it's huge. It is pretty much every bit as large as say Chattanooga was. The vendors are fantastic, which is always a big part of the show. Uh, the facility is good. Um, as long as you don't step outside and burst into flame, the, 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 the yeah, facility is pretty great. Hot. And uh, God, it just, the, there's an energy going on that seems to be building year over year. That's and right. Since 2021. And you can really feel, feel it here. So, and my God, the models. As of yesterday, Thursday night, there were 2,800. Entries, not 2,800 models, 2,800 entries. Quite a number of those entries had quite a number of models. That's right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for the final count, but I would not be surprised to see a record number of models. And again, I think that's uh, post-COVID, a lot of the guys who got back into modeling are coming, and they're not only coming, but they're entering. I wonder how many came through the door today, so... Yeah, they were stacked up down there at nine when registration was about to open, but I just couldn't get a feel for how many it was. Yeah, well, I talked talked to our friend Mike Agakavich, who does uh, registration every year, and he says on a typical Friday they will get another two hundred to four hundred entrants. So, depending on how many models each entrant has, that could be a significant number of kids. It could be so. But then again, a crowded model room is the best problem in the world to have. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. We spent some time in the uh, Thursday night in the model room looking at the models, and the quality just keeps getting better and better and better. Sure. Just, you know, as you're walking along the aisle, you're stopped by a stunning model. Then you take five steps, and you're stopped by another one. You know, the the quality is just fantastic. It's great to see. I mean, I find it inspiring, even if I look at some of this and go, I never could do that. Well, hopefully we'll talk to some a couple of builders. We got a couple picked out that are kind of on both ends of the spectrum. Um, we'll get to those later, but we've got certainly one picked out for quality. Yes. And then one, one picked out for the incredible story behind it. And we look forward to talking to those folks. Yeah. So I can't wait. All right.
Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby. Let's join Mike and Kentucky Dave as they strive to be informative, entertaining, and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, we have survived. We live to tell about it. We're back from the IPMS National Convention in uh, San Marcos, Texas. Evan, you're back with us for episode 96. Thanks for coming back to to book in this trip. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's like you've been attached at the hip for the last week. <laughs> that that was that was a heck of a trip. I'm telling you, 1,068 miles in one day is probably about my limit in a in a via, moving vehicle that's not an airplane um well time wise that's about my limit in an airplane yeah that was <laughs> that was um, that was a long haul that was a long haul both ways but it was fun i i still maintain pe- best four days of uh the year every year well this time it was more like six days with all the traveling and me coming in the night before and all that yep. good stuff yep so yeah it was it was very fun being able to do the road trip with you guys because it basically added another day onto the nas for me being able to hang out with all my modeling buddies and and just go on a fun trip and adventure and talk models and all that good stuff and we also survived the nacho cheese incident no context <laughs> needed <laughs> well evan other than the show and the the post after um What's up in your model sphere? Oh, I'm just riding off the high from the Nats. Uh, I think I got a bit of a cold on the way home or something, but I'm doing all right. And I just, you know, I got home. I, I don't do what, what uh, Dave does. I, I file all my models up into the stash and put them on my Scalemates catalog. And then I just think about, dream about what my next project's going to be because I'm really amped up now. Well, what uh, what'd you see at the show you liked that's got you inspired? Anything? Well, I have that Tamiya KV-2 that I've been planning on working on for a little while. Uh, I have the 3D printed oil cans for that from you that I got at HeritageCon. And there were a few really nice uh, KV-2s at the show that I I was very inspired by. So that might be my next project. Well, that KV right. collection at the show was really nice. Oh, absolutely. Dave, what's up in your model sphere, my friend? Well, uh, I'm not quite as resilient as young Evan. Trips took a toll, but I'm like him. I'm riding the high. Every, every year I come home riding the high, inspired to to get to the bench, to get back to modeling, which I don't think I'm going to be able to do until Friday. We're recording this on a Wednesday, but uh, till Friday, uh, just because of other life uh things intervening but uh i'm itching to go man this this has been (laughs) this i've got to say this san marcos rivaled chattanooga which frankly i didn't think any other nationals was going to approach so uh i'm i'm just i'm buzzing well hopefully there's always new high new high tides that's well that's what we keep hoping we'll see we'll see so how about you? Well, like you, I'm trying to, uh, well, I'm recovered now, but 
I tell you, we did better coming back than going down as far as swapping off the mileage. Yes. But I think uh, that many days in the Texas, dry Texas air and then car AC kind of dehydrated me a little bit. But uh, hopefully that's the worst of it. And some some activities uh, in the hotel room probably. Yeah. Dehydrated me a little bit as well. <laughs> well, you know what? If you're if you're dehydrated, there's nothing better than modeling fluid to help you, you along. Think? I'm I'm thinking the modeling fluid might be what dehydrated me. <laughs> no, I think it was that Texas heat. I don't think the modeling fluid had anything to do with it. Speaking of modeling fluid, uh Evan, I assume you have some modeling fluid with you. Yes. Um but because I have a bit of a cold, I'm just having some this is one of those carbonated flavored sugarless water beverages that are, you know, better for you than soda. This is a <laughs> Farm Boy, which is a Canadian uh, grocery store chain here. Orange and vanilla flavored sparkling water, zero uh, percent ABV. <laughs> so that's that's going to help you get rehydrated. Yes, Mike. What's your modeling fluid? I'm drinking uh, Lukenbach Road Whiskey. Oh, man. Now, this is a light whiskey from uh, Lukenbach, Texas, provided by none other than Rob Booth from the Texas gang down there putting on the show. And uh, we'll have a good taste and see how it works out at the end. Well, what do you got going on? I hear glass rattling. Yeah, uh, I am also sample. I'm sampling a new first time item for me. Uh, it shouldn't be. I, frankly, I get, should have probably gotten my Kentucky card revoked for not having had this earlier. But... Uh, our friend Derek Post brought us some Jefferson's uh, bourbon, and uh, which I've never had before, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It looks good. I know plenty of people who've had it and tell me how good it is. I'll let you know at the end of the episode, but I, I don't think I'll be disappointed. Well, I tell you what, before we get into listener mail and what folks can expect for the rest of this episode, uh, we recorded a few segments along the way during our time in San Marcos, and uh, we're going to cut the first one in right here, and it's from an outfit we found in the vendor room called Lazy Dog Hobby Studio, and the proprietor is a Mr. Brett Van Dyke. Well, Dave, we got one of the vendors off the vendor floor to actually come over here and talk to us. Yep. (laughs) Mr. Brett Van Dyke. Brett, where are you from? Uh, originally from Houston, currently live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because right. I got tired of hurricanes, heat, and concrete. <laughs> well, I'm from Johnson City originally. <laughs> so when did you move to Chattanooga? Uh, December of 2019, right before everything just went to crap. Okay, so oh, you missed the you missed the convention in Chattanooga in 2019. Yes, I do, and I am sad that I did because I heard it was fantastic. It it definitely was. The guys put on a good show every year. I've been a vendor for the last couple at the show, so. Well, uh, I'm I'm hoping that you can convince the Chattanooga guys to bid again. Well, talking to one of the guys that's local, and he's part of the group, he says they're going to try and trying to rope me in to be part of the group, which I really should be part of the group because it's getting smaller, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brett, we brought you over here because you got a little business called Lazy Dog Hobby Studio, and you're making some uh, laser-cut items that are pretty useful, and one of them caught our eye in particular, a, a paint rack, a wall-mounted paint rack. So give us a little background on what you got going on, and then we'll talk about that paint rack in particular, because that's the well, one that really interests me. Well, 
I do the modeling like this. I also do a lot of war gaming, 40K, stuff like that. And I have a paint monkey on my back. <laughs> and I got a desk, you know, build my own solutions. And you know what? The laser cutter looks like a lot of fun. Bought a laser cutter, started doing some stuff for myself, made paint racks, made terrain for 40K, made some desk stuff. Then I put it on Etsy, and then it went nuts. Well, that's so, good. Paint racks, I sell like crazy. So, you know, I wanted something that could go on the wall, store a lot of paints, easy to make selection. I've got paint racks for sizes for almost everything, even to the point of having tube paints, craft paints. De describe the way your the your paint racks look because they are different. They're yeah. they're wall mount. They're wall mount. The the shit. I'll call them shelves. They're angled with a, I guess maybe a eighty percent circle. The paints fit on it, and they just they're just held in by gravity, and so you can easily see the paints. You know, pull them out; they don't fall. Somebody goes, "Well, it looks like that defies gravity," but it was a different style. I saw something like it, and I'm like, you know what? That looks pretty cool. It looks better than a flat shelf. And it took a little while to get the design right, so things don't hit each other. But on my Etsy shop, you can order paint racks with like I want some large ones to hold Tamiya paints and some to hold Vallejo and you can get that in one rack can't do it here but when you order online easy enough to combine because it's all interchangeable well and the nice thing is with the way they're angled down the fact is you can see the tops of the paint so you yeah, know if, if it's color coded on the top you can see it I'm red, green, colorblind. doesn't help me at all, but it helps a lot of people. <laughs> I like to turn it so I can read the name of the paint, and that's why they're staggered, so you generally can see the labels of each one. So, so if you're red, green, colorblind, how do you paint War, Warhammer 40K it, stuff? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's however I want to paint it. Gotcha. <laughs> it's why I don't do. If I'll, I'll do, you know, airplanes and stuff, and I'll, luckily most things give you the color code. Right. But if one of those color codes really doesn't match what it's supposed to be, I'll never know. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I think it's a good idea because I, I've looked at those. The, the stair step type bench mount bench top paint racks and they look like the footprint just takes up yeah. way I, too much space. I will, I will be honest. The first one I designed was one of those stair types that sit on the bench. Then I realized this doesn't help me at all. <laughs> it just didn't save me any space. So then it was rapidly to one to go on the wall. Well, cool. Well, tell folks where they can find this stuff who aren't at the show. Yeah, if you're on Etsy, Lazy Dog Hobby Studio, and if you go to the website, www.lazydoghobbystudio, it'll take you to the Etsy page, too. Just redirect. So everything's on Etsy because it's simple for me. <laughs> that's that's a good thing. Well, thanks for coming by. Hey, and I'm, we appreciate it. Wish you luck. And uh, I'm hoping to pick up some of the wall mounts when I get a little further in my shop design. But, yeah, that's definitely the way way I want to go. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Yep. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Brett had some interesting things, Dave. Evan, Evan, did you see those paint racks? Yes, indeed, I did. I chatted with him for a little bit. Uh, not, only, not only did he have impressive uh, paint racks and other little bits and bobs for your bench holding brushes and stuff, but he had a really nice F4 Phantom that I was admiring displaying one of his aircraft holding devices there. And I got his car because I thought maybe this will be something I might need in the future. And my buddy Bruce uh, Worrell, he got some of their paint racks as well. He was very excited about that. 
they looked really, really well done and perfect for saving some space on your bench, putting them up on the wall and everything like that. All right. Well, let's get into listener mail, guys. All right. Up first, Roger Newman from Brisbane, Australia. And uh, a couple of days ago, he's listening to episode 60 during his catch-up on uh, Plastic Model Mojo, and he laughed out loud at your unfortunate choice of modeling fluid and the ensuing listener feedback, Dave. Okay. You remember what that was? Uh, is that the peanut butter whiskey? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> okay. You're never going to get that one away. That, that's going to haunt you forever. <laughs> I, right. I'm never going to live that down. That's Going to have to pull it from the catalog. Nobody brought me peanut butter whiskey or a jar of Jif this year, so... That's right. So maybe it's down the road. Maybe, that's right. Maybe I'm living it down, which means I need to go get some new weird one and try it. (laughs) Well, he's dismayed to see that uh, your reaction has hit the local U.S. whiskey and bourbon sales to the point they're now exporting the unfortunate libation out to former U.K. colonies like Australia. (laughs) <laughs> he found it at one of their larger liquor outlets. So uh, I guess you're an influencer, Dave. You, you, I, no, you've no, cru- you've crushed the market. Our bad press has caused them much grief and anxiety, and now they're having to export their product too. That may end up resulting in Australia declaring war on us. And you know, <laughs> I, I can't say they wouldn't be justified. <laughs> I think not. It's probably true. I hope not. <laughs> Oh, Dr. Matt Schaefer. Now, Matt was the one who put together the uh, the big stinking 50-person uh, barbecue oh, run yeah. over, to, over to Black's. What did you think of that, Evan? That was amazing. I was, <laughs> I was very bloated by the end of that. I was just inhaling <laughs> as much brisket and sausage as I could, and it was like the best stuff ever. Yeah. Br- and I probably had a gallon of sweet tea as well. <laughs> probably did. Well, that 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 brisket, if you got the, the juicy parts of the brisket, man, that was unbelievably good. Well, Matt, thanks for that. And thanks for Scott and the rest of the Posse gang for inviting us along. We sure had a good time and uh, well worth it. We had a lot of fun doing that. Well, he wants to talk a little bit about 3D printing, and uh, we had some comments last episode, and uh, he thinks one of the problems lies in the fact that IPMS leans heavily on build quality, and therefore, if much of the build difficulty is a little subjective, he says, is removed by less parts and presumably more accurate rendering, then you have to rely on the finish and dreaded weathering to start sizing things up. No longer is it easy to walk the table and say, well, that wing's not in alignment, that landing gear's out of alignment, etc., and it kind of puts a shift on the paradigm when it comes to judging. That's possibly true. This is yep. an interesting uh, interesting point. And as much as we want to attract young people to the hobby, uh, our predominant judger base right now is is older IPMS. Not all of them. We've got some young blood in there like Evan and some of the other guys who, who are uh, running with the posse there. But uh, mm-hmm. it's how they've judged, how they're likely to always judge unless they're, they're something forces their hand to do things differently. And uh, that's just where uh, the 3D printing stands. That's interesting, but... I, you know, 3D printing, I guess we were talking about the multiple part kits. And, you know, I bought one of the, the Vargas Matilda ones while I was down there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. On some of these things, there's a fair amount of uh, support structure cleanup. Now, as the printers get better, the, the attachment points get smaller. I don't know if the size really affects how many you need. It could possibly, but uh, it's, it's not easy to get away from them just by the, the nature of 3D printing. But uh some of them that can still be quite a bit of work, so maybe uh, maybe that's a way they could start looking at these things. And I'll be honest with you, I think the part of it's just the novelty of it, the newness of it. 
Uh, nobody complains about busts in the bust categories, which are we almost without exception, either single piece cast resin casts, or at most single piece with one small something to attach to the bust. But it really is very analogous. It's a single piece that you've got to do some cleanup on and then paint. I just think that a big part of this is the newness of it. And five years ago or five years from now, we're going to look back on it and we're going to be, well, what the heck was all the fuss about? <laughs> that may be true. We'll see. I, I think, you know, with the bus, the, the paint and finish paradigm is kind of already there. Yeah. Just by the nature of the, of the, the subject, sub, subject or the genre of the bus, the figure genre that it is. Um, not a lot of construction there. Not a lot of cleanup most of the time. A lot of those things can be plug molded without hardly any um, yep. separation lines. Yep. Uh, good points, Matt. I don't know. Evan, you got any thoughts on this one? No. Uh, Dave stole my thunder. He said exactly what I was going to say. So nothing for me. That's because uh, I can read your mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as this gets more and more pop- popular, I'm sure we'll have uh, more and more mail about this. Actually, we have two. We got two that are dealing with 3D printing. One of them's really interesting. We'll get to that in just a second. Let me see. Yeah, we're going to get to it next. Ray LeGrant from Ware, Massachusetts. Now, uh, last episode or the one before, I mentioned an email that he had written anonymous. I, well, I, I gave him some anonymity in, in my conversation about it on the podcast because it had been a while. It was like 2021 because it was uh, the Las Vegas National Convention when the big Lunar Lander won. Best yep. space in sci-fi. Remember that? Yep. Uh, and he, he, you know, he recognized that and was was uh, surprised that uh, we remembered that. But I, I tell you, it's, time gets away from me. But this one's kind of been on come and gone from uh, my thought, especially as three D printing comes up again, and and uh, it's an email I've always harkened back to. He had stated that he thought, you know, IPMS stood for International Plastic Modeler Society and the emphasis on plastic, not resin printed. And he says, well, not times have changed and my opinion has somewhat shifted. So, hey, he's, he's moved from his initial position, apparently, which is, which is mm. good, I think. Watching plastic model channels on YouTube, listening to podcasts on the subject. It seems like 3D printing is here and here to stay. He's seen YouTube channels devoted to kit building that now that builds entirely a 3d uh, model made of entirely of 3d printed parts and he's seen youtube channels dedicated to building garage kits that now incorporating 3d prints in in their kits and uh he's seen podcasts dedicated to plastic model kits now incorporating 3d printed accessories and uh, 3d kits in their formats or in their in their subject matter it's interesting to see how ipms deals with this and and this onset of uh, all this new stuff so i guess we're kind of still waiting for that as for 3D printing taking over the hobby, uh, that was another concern he had. Uh, he doesn't think that's yet to be seen, but it is the future, and the future is now. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray, I'm, I'm glad to hear you've uh, taken a, a little more harder look at that and uh, kind of shifted on your position because uh, I think uh, you're right to do so. Uh, we all have our opinions on 3D printing versus, you know... Uh, organic scratch building and that's probably a subject we'll touch on in the future and uh it's new people don't know quite what to make of it and there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is but uh you know i think probably the biggest one is that it's just it's just a thing you print and paint that's even even that vargas kit i have it's got 30 some odd parts which is not many for an armor kit right right uh 
it uh, it's got a fair lot of, fair amount of uh, attachment point cleanup on it on some really yeah. delicate stuff, and and that's just a real pain in the rear, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I I looked at that kit that you bought when we got back to our room, and I'll tell you what, there's no way you can't say that isn't modeling both construction and painting and weathering when that's all done. Because it's not like you just pull it out and pop it on your airbrush uh, air booth and and start painting away. Well, when when I'm gonna make a comment here, and Evan, I like to get your take on it in the at the end of it. I, I'm not sure much 3D print stuff. Well, you've used quite a bit, a lot of small stuff. But uh, yeah. one thing I don't get, and it kind of runs counter to my own uh, mindset and way of thinking about model building, is uh, I mean the Vargas kit is. It's really nice, and it's not many parts. A lot of things have been molded in place. I just don't think if I was making kits like, well, via 3D print, that I would do it that way. Um, While it might be, in a volumous sense, more cleanup to make more of those parts as individual parts, more of those details as individual parts, I think uh, when you're printing those individually, you can have a lot more control over where the attachments are. That's kind of the paradigm I would follow. Not printing it all as one thing or as in few parts as possible. I'm, 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 I'm not sure I get why that's done. Maybe somebody can enlighten me a little bit uh, as why. Uh, you know, I, I manage 3D printers at work. Um, I certainly get the simplicity of doing that, the, doing it that way. But I'm not sure from a, a buildability standpoint. Well, I don't know. That's not even true. It doesn't have as many parts, so you could argue yes, it's much more buildable because it has fewer parts or easy to build. I don't know. What do you think, Evan? Well, when I saw the you. I saw the model that you had in, in the hotel room there in the dojo. I I guess one thing I noted was that the whole tool rack kind of assembly was printed as part of the, the hull. It was just printed on the sides of the hull kind of below the turret, correct? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like you're saying, buildability, like this will probably be, I'm almost 99% sure, uh, quicker to put together than some of those, you know, m- very complicated kits you can have nowadays that are plastic injection molded. But when I when I go for the three D printed accessories, not a full kit, but accessories, I'm looking for bits that I can use to increase the fidelity of the part uh, of of the model, and also to, I guess, like this basically just I want to be able to modify it and have things like empty tool clamps or like, modify the lived in look of the vehicle. And when you start printing things on you're not achieving that. Now, of course, I'm talking about accessories that are aftermarket and you're talking about a whole specific kit, but I think that perhaps it's just simply the novelty of having the ability to print it that way that is attractive and uh, at least for the person designing it. But personally, I would prefer those parts to be separate so that I have a little bit more customizability of the of the model. And like you said, also you have more control about putting the support structure in uh, more reasonable places where it's not as visible when you're cleaning it up and such. Sometimes I wonder, now this is not an accusation, but I, I wonder if, if it's being printed as one part or as few parts just for the sake of doing it that way. I don't know. Price is probably, maybe it's even faster for them. I don't know. Well, you two would know more than I, but is it easier to design it that way than to design out the separate parts? And maybe it's just simply a matter of Vargas is cranking out a lot of stuff and a lot of new stuff all very quickly. And I wonder if part of that is just it's it's easier to design it that way. 
Uh, I think the design part, possibly indifferent. I mean, you still have to cat up all the bogeys and all that stuff. It's just a matter of making them one piece or not Yeah. in the end, joining the parts together to make those things one part, joining if they're touching to, to as opposed to separate parts. I, I don't know. I mean, that's the way he's doing it. I still bought the kit. It's it's a gorgeous little kit. I hope it goes together. What's what the little there is to put on it um, is okay. It's uh, maybe it's a a really nice paint mule at this point, or a <laughs> or a learning project. <laughs> yeah, not in the disposable sense of a paint mule. No, but in right. the uh, no dedicated hardcore build time in the thing. Right in that sense. So. We'll see. Maybe I'll get to it soon. I don't know. That's one I could kind of work on on the side and on the sly. So maybe it'll just show up. Well, I, I would love to see it because it's that's one of those. It's so ugly. It's cool. <laughs> and finally, from the email side of things, Mr. Michael Karnalka from uh, New York City is looking forward to hearing our thoughts regarding the national convention. And the question he has for us is. What is something that you only experience at the Nationals that you wish you'd encounter more often at other shows or modeling get-togethers? What is the least desirable experience at said event? Well, the least... Hang on. (laughs) He hopes that we're not forced to wear wooden barrels propped up by improvised suspenders because we spent all our money. (laughs) I would say the least desirable aspect was when the SWAT team came into the the dojo last year, but luckily we avoided that this year. We did avoid that. We did avoid that. (laughs) Well, Evan, what's uh, what's 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 something you think is the you get more of at a model show that you get at the national convention? I think it would be, which is kind of maybe the same thing that you guys are going to say, but being able to meet with people and chat with them, and I think that differs from just being able to meet with your buddies at your local modeling club on Thursday night or whatever, because you have four days solid of just being able to meet with people, longer opportunities to chat with them. They might have more of their work on display, which you can you can use as an example to teach your friends about techniques you use and ask your buddies about how they achieve some result that you're that you're interested in. And, you know, I love the social aspect of the hobby and the nationals is just one huge social get together with all my modeling buddies and I really enjoy that aspect of it. Well, you said something gosh, when was it? I think it was after your seminar. Mm-hmm. Um or Maybe I don't remember when it was. I think that's when it was. But but maybe, well, you had not experienced so many people knowing who you were by just visual recognition that you had never that, met before. That is true. At the beginning of the presentation, I I asked, and everyone was in the room and ready. I asked, "How many people here know who I am and watch my videos?" And most people in the room, and there was probably a hundred or more people in that room. Most people raised their hand, and it was quite amazing to me. And I mean, like I said at the time, to me, it doesn't really feel real because I'm just, I I guess you guys get a little bit of this as well, but I'm just me. I just build models and I post about it on the internet, but these people, it's almost like they know who I am because they watch my content, they enjoy it, and they have some interaction with me following my stuff and posting comments and everything. So it's almost like they, they already know me a little bit. So they, they start conversations with me talking about some of my projects and everything. And it's, it's a little bit shocking, but not in a bad way. It's just like, wow, I've had an impact on these people. And they're saying, you know, I love this video you did. And I, and I really like this model. And it just really, it feels really good that I've had a positive impact on the hobby. Because when I first started out, there were modelers in my local club who had a very similar positive impact on me. And that really set me off on the right foot when I was starting the hobby. Well, you sure knocked it out of the park with your presentation. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. 
It was. <laughs> it was. Not only was it uh, the best presentation I attended at San Marcos, I've been, this was, I think, my 27th national. And Evan, I, I mean this in all sincerity, uh, your presentation was probably in the top five of any presentation uh, I've seen put on it in nationals. It was extremely polished. Uh, you were... Um, very good at presenting and communicating the ideas that you were trying to communicate about the techniques you were using. Um, it was it was really good. Well, I, I'm glad that it was so good. I'm always worried that I'm not as eloquent as I would like to be when I'm explaining things. But no, you did. Uh, it was very a really fun well. presentation, and I managed to film it successfully. And I've already started to edit it. Good. Clean up All a right. little bit, and I'll put the the slides properly on the screen and everything. So. That should be that should be good to watch for people who missed it, basically. That's what I was going to say. There are plenty of people who didn't get to go to the Nationals, and mm-hmm. I think it would be well worth their time for you to be able to put that presentation up online and let share it with those folks who weren't lucky enough to be there live. Well, Dave, I'm going to let Evan stick with his uh, SWAT team showing up as the least desirable <laughs> experience. So uh, what's your best and worst, Dave? Uh, the worst was an hour was 1,068 miles. Now, I had fun. We shared modeling camaraderie all the way down. I will tell you, having on the way down, uh, having driven 11 and a half straight hours, by the time we got to that last hour or so, I was, I was hurting. So I am thrilled that Madison is only seven hours from us, and uh, we're looking for a much better drive next year. But even that said, it was well worth the drive there and back. Uh, the best part is I would echo what Evan said regarding the getting to spend more time uh, it just, the experience we had at HeritageCon was a really great experience. I mean, it was a huge show, huge vendors, uh, lots of modelers, lots of modelers we knew and could interact with. But because it was just a one-day show, you didn't have the time that you really wish you had. Whereas with four days, I mean, we went out to dinner. And got to sit there and spend time uh, with different modelers and share the experience. And and it wasn't all talk of modeling, although there was plenty of that. Uh, <laughs> we're sitting in the dojo one night, and we've got a bunch of modelers around. And what are we talking about? What band have you seen most in concert? What what concert you saw that was the best, etc. And it was it was just a fantastic conversation, utterly unrelated to modeling, but nonetheless sharing camaraderie with other modelers. So reaching back to, to Evan's seminar, I would like to see at local contest invitationals and particularly regionals more seminars. There used to be more seminars many years ago, and we've kind of gotten away from that. And I really, really do want to see that come back, uh, at least to the regional level, but maybe even the local level. Well, the local 
level collectively everybody's caved to the desire to be done by three o'clock which kind of <laughs> though if, if you did it by during the judging that would probably be a time to and and that's that's my to thought. have a really good audience <laughs> yes that that to be honest with you is my thought you have now of course the vendors want people in the vendor room to vend but everybody's been there since nine or ten o'clock in the morning and the ability to grab lunch from a food truck on site or whatever, and then go into a conference room and see a presentation by somebody who has a particular skill base or knowledge base that makes it valuable for them to share. I, I, I do want to see that happen. I really do. Because, uh, again, I've said this plenty of times. Seminars are the undiscovered gem of the nationals. We attended, God, five or six of them this year, or at least I did, and they were great. So uh, that's what I'd like to see more of. Keep harping on the social aspect of it, and that's clearly what it is. I mean, the, the vendors are awesome, but there's vendors that all model shows to varying degrees. Uh, but there's a Bunch of people we get to see only once a year, unless we're lucky. And uh, I really like that going down. I, I don't know how you make that more available at, at local shows or, or you know, our the regional shows. I don't think you can. I think that's going to be a, a, a bit of positive that's going to be only associated with the national conventions, at least in the United States. Unless we can talk more people into attending more shows. I know there are listeners out there who are listening, who've never been to a show, let me urge you to get to one. I can't tell you, we ran into a ton of listeners at, at the Nationals. And one of the questions I would always ask them was, is this your first Nationals? And quite a number of them, it was. The joy on their face, because they were having that experience, just that made me happy. And I really do think you don't have to enter. You don't have to go and enter to go to a show, but go to a show. And I can guarantee you, even if you don't know anybody at that show, okay, you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You don't have a club. You know, you model in your basement. You listen to the podcasts and, you know, maybe watch YouTube and that's the extent of your, your modeling sphere, find a show near you, go to it. Even again, you will find people there that you will have an immediate connection with, even if you didn't know them before you showed up. And that is such an important part of the hobby. Well, that's it for the uh, email side of things, Dave. Has anything happened since we've been gone? On uh, Facebook Messenger? No, nothing <laughs> happened at all. Uh, there, there was nothing at all. Uh, I'm going to pick and choose a few because there were a ton of them, and a lot of them were about the show uh, and just logistical stuff. But let me start off with our friend Stephen Lee, uh, who I had a uh, messenger exchange with today. It turns out Stephen was not able to attend the Nationals, but he did have an entry. He sent with T.J. Haller, his M.A.K., to be entered as part of their Machine and Krieger group build. And so he sent it down, and um, it turns out that uh, somehow, in all the confusion, 
his model got left. Now, there's a happy end to the story, according to him, and I'm going to quote this directly. TJ lost my model on the way back, but Martin Drayton's cousin's bestie's mother-in-law's pool man managed <laughs> to locate it, and it is now safe, but in Keokuk, Iowa, or somewhere like that. So there's a happy ending to the story, and I just, <laughs> I just love that. I'm glad it uh, worked out. <laughs> yes, I am glad it worked out, too. I, I suspect TJ was mortified. I, I suspect TJ was mortified. No no sweat, <laughs> TJ. Martin left a, a, Martin left a thing of, uh, of his own models on the table. And believe it or not, that's easier to do than you would think it is in the rush to pack up, uh, especially if you brought a large number of models. Uh, yeah, I have deep sympathy for him, and I'm happy it, it both for Martin Drayton and for Stephen Lee that it worked out and their models are safe, and now they just have to figure out how to recover them. We ran into several of the guys from the Huntsville Model Club, and that's not Huntsville, Texas, where there's a prison. That's Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, they are having their show their invitational show, and it's celebrating the 50th anniversary of their club uh, on August 26th, so just in a couple of weeks. They stopped by and uh, asked us to mention the show, and I wanted to mention the show. I've been to Huntsville numerous times. I love where it's held. I love the, the contest. I really like the vendors there that tend to skew toward uh, you know, guys getting rid of collections and such, so you can pick up some real deals. I would urge anyone, August 26th, if you're anywhere near Huntsville, Alabama, not Huntsville, Texas, Huntsville, Alabama, go to that show. You won't be disappointed. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Charles Rice, one of our listeners, who is a over-the-road trucker, pointed out that my 11-and-a-half-hour straight driving violated by uh, over 30 minutes uh, what the OSHA rules are for truck drivers transporting cargo for the amount of time they're allowed to drive. And that's absolutely true, but the cargo I was carrying was a couple of modelers, so I think it's exempt from, from OSHA <laughs> regulation. Our um, expired temporary plate wasn't. <laughs> yo, we got, we got so lucky. We got so lucky. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Bob Smith reached out to us, suggested, as, as you well know, there was at the show a really large-scale model of a Saturn V. And by large scale, I'm talk. I have no idea what the scale of this thing was, but it's not like the 196 scale kits. This was scratch built. And uh, uh, listener Bob Smith suggested he would love to hear from the person who actually built that. Um, and I think he did a seminar. I didn't get to that one, but uh, no, d d was he part of the real space seminar? There was a S Saturn specific seminar oh okay maybe maybe so and i think it was uh in relation to the building of that model okay so good idea yeah that is a good idea and uh joe hegedus 
wrote in and suggested a topic for a future episode, which is why a modeler should join the IPMS national organization. You know, I pitch it every every episode, and uh, he wants a deeper dive into actually the why, the the what what benefits are there for the modeler, what benefits are there for the modeling community, etc. And that's a that's a really good uh, suggestion, and uh, we may have to do that for a future episode. I'm lo- I, I think that would be a real good idea, and. Uh, that's it from the uh, Facebook DM side. This is the point in the episode where I ask, uh, when you get done listening, if you would please uh, rate this podcast on whatever podcast listening app you're using, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, etc., whatever. I know we've gotten tons and tons of really good reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, we appreciate that. It really helps to drive our visibility. Also, if you are listening and you know a modeling friend who doesn't listen to our podcasts or podcasts generally, I would ask you to turn them on to us, help them download a podcasting app if you need to. Some of our some of our older members are a little bit adverse to new technology. Uh, if you'd reach out and help them and get them listening, we'd appreciate it. The best way for our podcast to continue to grow and it is continuing to grow is for members to or listeners to recommend to other modelers that they start listening in addition to that please check out the other podcasts out in the model sphere you can go to www.modelpodcast.com it's model podcast plural it's a consortium website set up with the help of Stuart clark at the scale model podcast in canada where he's aggregated all the banners for the other podcasts who are participating in the spirit of cross promotion so give modelpodcast.com a visit where you can find the banner links to all the, all these other podcasts and uh, go have a listen. We'd also like you to check out our blog and YouTube friends out there in the model sphere. We just mentioned Stephen Lee, Sprue Pie with Frets. Check out his long and short form blogs. I'm sure he'll have something about his little lost model incident. We've got the Inchai Guy, Jeff Groves, all things 72nd scale. If you're into 72nd scale, you want to go check out what Jeff's got going on and uh, hopefully we'll see him soon. Chris Wallace, a model airplane maker. Great YouTube channel and blog. Check it out. He keeps getting better and better with his, his videos and uh, his blog content's always good and uh, gets people thinking and on their toes. And Jim Bates, Scale Canadian TV, YouTube channel. I'm curious what he's going to have to say about the Nationals. Uh, we enjoyed hanging out with Jim quite a bit over the last week. Yep. And Evan McCallum, Panzermeister 36. So I guess uh, your uh, Nat seminar going public is uh, going to be your big next thing, huh? Yes, I hope to have it up uh, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time, like I usually do. So that should be right after this episode drops. Let me suggest to you that um, having seen Evan's Panhard in person, the photographs, while really fantastic, that go with his seminar uh, are great. Um, the, the model is even more impressive in person. I really, really enjoyed looking at that thing. Well, thank you. Well, finally, 
this is a point where I'd ask if you're not a member of IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, uh, your national IPMS organization, please consider joining. Uh, IPMS does do many things for the modeling community. Uh, many of those are not readily visible to the modeling community at large, and so they're not always appreciated, but they are vital. Uh, and I'd ask you to join. In addition, if you're an armor modeler, consider joining AMPS. Uh, their national contest next year is in South Bend, Indiana. And it's actually the show chairman is a good friend of my, Mike and myself, uh, John Charvot. Uh, we're hoping to have him on a future episode. Uh, and, uh, AMPS is a, is a good organization. All right, Dave, let's have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steamback airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Well, Dave, other than Evan, we had some other precious cargo in the in the van on the way to the National Convention. We transported a couple of Kinetic F-16 models that uh, were going to be used on Kinetic's uh, display table. Yes, uh, uh, arguably more precious cargo. Kinetic for the IPMS Nationals in San Marcos uh, released a, a boxing of their F-16 kit with the uh, special markings that the Texas Air National Guard put on one of their F-16s. Club member Jeremy Boyd is actually a pilot, and he is actually uh, with the... Air National Guard unit in Texas. He is the one who designed those markings. So he and another club member each built two different versions of the Texas Air National Guard special markings for the F-16, which are available in the kinetic kit. And then they entrusted us to take the models down to uh, the Nationals and to have them displayed at the Kinetic table along with Kinetic's uh, marketing for, uh, you know, selling the kits that they were, that they were selling. So it was really fantastic. It was nerve wracking. Uh, I hate transporting other people's models. I, you know, I, I'm much more worried about that than I am transporting my own models. But it worked out and it was great and it gave us an introduction to uh, uh, Kinetic President and CEO Raymond Chung. It was uh, really great. Well, we got a segment with uh, Raymond, and uh, let's have a listen. Well, Dave, we had a couple of F-16s to bring down to the Nats this year and deliver to uh, Kinetic Models, yeah. and we have a Kinetic representative with us right now. So would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Raymond Chong, and I'm the CEO of the Kinetic Model. And, uh, well, this is the fourth time that we come here, and uh, finally we squeeze out the time to get to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And, uh, well... One of the jets we did bring, one of the F-16s, was a, a decal option in one of your special 
Yeah. Boxing to the kit. Yeah. Okay. The, the Texas A&G. Oh, so yeah. a good good one for this show. Yes. We have this idea last year uh, when we finished their show at uh, Omaha. Yes. Uh, that we think about what we should bring to you know promote the brand next year. Okay. So we come up with the idea. Next year is a Texas. So why don't we take, make a Texas check? Sound like a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where's Kinetic located? Uh, well, now Kinetic is uh, originated from Hong Kong, but you know, as as most of the, you know, the manufacturing is made in China. Yes. Uh, but now by 2023, we have four offices in the world. Okay. Okay. So we have a direct branch in North America, in USA, in Canada, in Australia, and also uh, UK. Okay. Yeah. And still, is it primarily in Hong Kong? Uh, basically, we are running in the global supply chain. Okay. So I would say that uh, most of the product is now manufactured globally. Okay. For example, Understand. the tooling is made in China. The design is worldwide basis consortium, and the deco by Ita uh, Carrara from Italy. Yes. Okay. So I cannot say that. What it, where is it made? <laughs> it's okay. made in several places. It's made yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's made everywhere. Just like every product in the world that you cannot say where it is made, assembling in China. Sure, <laughs> yes, sure. Well, in one of my prior careers, I was working in consumer products and I was in southern China and Hong Kong quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you guys active in the hobby scene in, in Hong Kong? Mm, not really, because the domestic Hong, the domestic market in Hong Kong is quite small. Okay, really. So, okay. Uh, yeah, but we've found it in Hong Kong, and uh, so now we um, our, our focus is on our overseas office in the world. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And fairly new company, several years now, but. Uh, uh, well, <clears throat> I would say that we are newbies in the, in this in this industry. Okay. We are 14 years old only. <laughs> <laughs> While most of the brand established big brand is talking about half a century. Yes. So we are still we still a young company <laughs> in that perspective. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And and, pr and primarily, yeah. what what subjects typically does Kinetic focus on? Uh, we try something at the very beginning, but now uh, in the last decade that we're focusing on jets. Okay. In forty-eight. All right. Okay. Because uh, we don't have much resources to diversify into different kind of things. Sure. So we better to focusing our resource in one spectrum. Sure. To make it back first before we move to drivers. All right. So, but there are a few one thirty-fifth scale military subjects under the kinetic banner. Uh, that is uh, earlier and later. Okay. okay, back in 10 years ago. Okay, okay. I understand. Yeah, and we stopped the 35th scale for some years, okay, and uh, because too much competition from mainland. Uh, yes. Okay, sure. so uh, we, 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 we better to focusing resources into the jet plane. Big okay. explosion in new manufacturers in the last, oh, how long, 10 years? Almost 10 years, yeah. almost 10 years. Okay. okay. So this is the Chinese just repeat the cycle. What I anticipated back in, you know, maybe 1960 in Japan. Really? Okay. But uh, but the thing is now everything is faster. So basically, I guess that they they do all the things happen in Japan for 30 years into 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 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 also have a different kind of uh, development concepts. Okay. Yes. Some brand go for the super detail. Right. Okay. 
and kinetic focusing on the you know the simplicity, okay, and buildability. Sure. Yeah, and that's been well received, I think. Well, this is a great dilemma. Okay, in, especially in the mainland. Okay, because the the, the customer in mainland wants super detail. Okay, so you see all kinds of full interior tank, yes, uh, uh, planes with engine inside. Uh, but uh, but uh, but our concept, my concept is okay. At a very fundamental question, what is the purpose of our business? What we provide to the consumer? Okay. Okay. So at Kinetic, we have a we have a concept or theory. Actually, we are doing a painting board. <laughs> right. <laughs> so model kit modeling is like a oil painting. Okay. So what we are doing is provide a three dimensional painting board yes. for the consumer to repeatedly paint. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay. So that, that is the whole concept. Okay. That's yeah. interesting because uh, the the hobby across, I think. All subjects yeah. has shifted. There are super detailing, yeah. but the focus seems to be more on paint and finish for a lot of modelers these days. Yes, because the painting process it's uh, it's uh, just like oil painting. You express your uh, impression of what it's going to be. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my my so in order to achieve this target, that we have to make the kit simplified enough. Right. But at the same time, maintain a better detail. So uh, the difficult job is to try to classify what should be included or what should be excluded. So what we call the smart uh, elimination. <laughs> yes. Okay. Understand. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and also a lot of things to balance at the same time: the production cost, uh, the design, the consumer building experience. And also, um, you know, we have a supply chain to feed. Yes. Okay. So otherwise, uh, uh, otherwise that will be too expensive to to to, to buy, or yeah. maybe to repetitively building it. Okay. Is, is, are you experiencing a uh, push in your uh, raw material cost that is going to affect your pricing? Are you seeing a the price of styrene or the styrene uh, uh, precursors pushing up in cost, and is that going to end up affecting what you what you price your items at down the line? Uh, we faced this problem in the last 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> Always going up. Always okay. going up. I, I, I can say that uh, when we start the kinetic in 2009, the production cost. Is ramping up by three hundred percent. Wow. Okay. So it's already three times. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay. Yeah. And now is uh, the production cost is ramping three hundred percent or three hundred fifty. Wow. Already. So okay. It, yeah. It, it has to affect things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because you think about that. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, fortunately, that we manage a business model which can which can overcome. Uh, not the cost. It's actually the revenue distribution structure. So that uh, we have, we may have a different distributions policy okay. with other brands in the world. Okay. Yes. So that we can uh, maintain the final end consumer price. Cool. Okay. Archer. Yeah. I know a lot of industries had supply chain issues during COVID. Yes, me yeah. too. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh, me too. How's the situation now for you know uh, raw materials, value add materials like your printed boxes and, and decals and things it's like everything that? Everything increased that by at least um, I think a fifth. 30% to 50% in the past three years. And how did it affect your lead times on deliverabilities for, for product in the various markets? Uh, well, the lead time is not so serious because we are not a, you know, we are not a big, big uh, manufacturer. Okay. okay. Uh, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a uh, 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 hundred container coming in. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. The lead time is okay. Okay. Uh, but <clears throat> the core is uh, where we should go. Where we should go. <laughs> so because uh, 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 I always have an analogy about this business in a, in a hobby business. Yes. It's like we are a fisherman. Okay. <laughs> yes, I understand that. That's a good, that's a good so analogy. So we are a fisherman. Every time we make a tool, it's a preference that we are going for a, uh, a tour on the, to the sea. Yes. So we want to catch the fish, right? Okay. So um, the business is like this. Uh, we have to control the rhythm, not too fast, okay. not too slow. So just like you go to the sea and you find some fish and you get the uh, 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 fish is very, uh, and you get the result, but don't go back too fast. Okay. <laughs> you will exhaust all the fish. Okay. Well, if, if you can tell us anything, what's, what's coming from Kinetic in the near future or even, even vision out? What do you hope to do with the company? Uh, everyone is asking, uh, uh, okay, as planned that, uh, that we are going to release the Tuta CT114 for the Canada market. Okay. Yes. And the result is a phenomenon which is ex exceeding what you can expect. <laughs> we know some people will be very happy about yes. this. <laughs> I know a lot of Canadians who want multiple copies of that kit. Yes, yes. <laughs> and even the uh, PAO Office of Canadian Air Force contacted us. Oh, wow. Okay, and they want the tutor to be, uh, to be located in all museums okay. in, in Canada. Wow. Yeah, so, so that will be, uh, you know, a, many people think that this is a rare and ninja item. Okay, but not and, in Canada. <laughs> uh, Canada is a super hot item, <laughs> yes. but uh, it helps to uh, establishing more channel. Yes, uh, to Canada market. Okay, yeah. So, so that is uh, good things, and people talking about to putting on sale on the tutor when there's an air show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Raymond, thank you for stopping by and having a little chat with us. Okay, uh, we, thank we you appreciate very much it. to meet you. Thank you. Nice Thank to you meet very you. Much. Thank Hope, you. Hopefully, I'll make it over to Hong Kong again. I haven't been okay. there in a long time. There's no a couple problem. of hobby shops I like to hit in Kowloon. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye -bye. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Bye bye. Well, he wasn't the only president and CEO we ran into, Dave. I know. I'm telling you, we're we are getting interviews with the movers and shakers <laughs> of the modeling scene, and uh, uh, this next interview was one that. I was particularly thrilled with. Lightspeed Global was at the IPMS National Convention, and there's some nice stuff on display. And Lightspeed Global is also the sponsor of the Mooseroo Cup, which uh, we happened to get those kits in the mail in the week prior to the National Convention, which we opened ours live on the road. And uh, I know as the time zones rolled out, the others in Australia and in the UK opened theirs a little early, but... Uh, it's a Ural, uh, what, 4320 truck? Yes. In 172nd scale, so 
So we've got a little more leeway on what we can do with it. But uh, we wanted to thank uh, Lightspeed Global personally. So we got their CEO, Lester Lye, over at the table to have a few brief words with us and uh, see what's going on at Lightspeed Global. Well, Dave, our new friends, I guess, at Lightspeed Global are down here at the IPMS National Convention. And uh, we have the uh, president and CEO. Is that right? Yep. Is that what you are? That's, that's me. Can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Lester. And uh, I'm the uh, president of uh, Lightspeed Global. And I walked by his table numerous times. I was expecting someone much older than you, which is, I <laughs> I'm apologize. Old, but I just kind of look young. I well, think it's the Asian blood. I don't know. I, I don't know. I was surprised, but it's... it's uh... how, how long has Lightspeed Global been operating? Uh, we've been around since 2016. I mean, we're pretty young, uh, cons- you know, in the model distribution sure, yeah. Yeah, industry. So, uh, but you know, we're, I think we're we're doing pretty good, pretty okay. I mean, um, let's go. Cool. Such a short time. Well, the, the reason I want to speak to you, I want to thank you and your company on behalf of all the scale model podcasts that are out there in the the model universe right now. Uh, you've helped supply kits to a little inner podcast challenge we have called the Musaru Cup. Right. And uh, you've made donations now. I think this is the third year you've done this yes. for us. And uh, we all enjoy it. It's been uh, coordinated through the IPMS Hamilton Club in Hamilton, Ontario, which I think is on the opposite end of the country than you. Uh, no, not too far from us. Here. Oh, really? Like, I was yeah, thinking you guys were like out. 20 minutes from my warehouse. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're good friends of ours. We, we support them quite a bit. Okay, I was thinking you guys were on the west side. Of, I, I, my geography is horrible, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're right by the airport in Toronto. Oh, okay, so that's not far at all. Okay. No, it's not too far. Cool. Yeah, do you guys go down to the show, and the Hamilton show? We went to the, we went to Heritage Con last year, yeah. Oh, yeah. We went up for, uh, we have a lot of uh, really good friends since we started the podcast that just happened to be in Ottawa. Okay. And we came down, they all met us in uh, Hamilton. We stayed at a, an Airbnb, a big house there, and just nice. uh, commuted back and forth between the shows. Yeah, it was one of the biggest shows they had in, in a while. Oh, yeah. Like over 2,000 people at, showed up. Yeah, at one point, the fire marshal actually closed the building and said, You can't let any yeah. more people in yep. because it was so well attended. Yeah, a lot of people were surprised by that because it never <laughs> happened before. But never. It was good. I hope it continues. Yes, I, mean, I do too. They, they, those guys do a great job. All now, right. what is your distribution range? Where do you do you distribute? Just in Canada and the U.S., or do you distribute in uh, North and South America? What's your what's your all's range? So we have yeah, mostly in North America. Okay. I mean, okay. Uh, you know, our business is like fifty fifty. I mean, like we have a lot of customers in the U.S. From the East Coast to the West Coast. Okay. Um, and also in Canada. Sure. We have like a satellite warehouse up in Niagara Falls. So, that, you know, that ships out to all our customers. In the okay. US, yeah. That's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is good. I mean, like, you know, we, we love attending shows and we're at every IPMS. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Uh, now you've got a you've got a forty eight scale uh, F four U Corsair coming. Uh, yeah, people are excited about. Oh it. yeah, that's that's been surprisingly very popular. I mean, everyone that walks by that booth has been like talking to us about it. Um, it's a new kit from Magic Factory. Right. Yes. Uh, they're a fairly new company. Yeah. That's the first kit I've seen them come out with. Maybe there's others, but when yeah. I see the big Corsair, that uh, yeah, they came out with a few different ones, like the Iron Dome. Right and, um, and some figurines, but this this Corsair, I think it's you know it's going to be a, a really nice kit. It's it's like it's got two two Corsairs in the kit. Okay, 
and if I'm not wrong, it retails for like about a hundred and ten dollars. Okay, for two uh, for two airplanes. For two airplanes. Yeah. So that's that's a, that's a good deal for forty eight scale detailed kit. Yeah, it's very. I mean, so the ones that we have right now at the show is they're test shots. Right. Um, but I know the team is working really hard on that right now to fix some of the issues that they have on certain sprues. But I feel like. Uh, there could be a slight delay on in the release, sure. but I think they want to get it perfect. Absolutely. So, yeah, because, you know, like, this is something that, this is an update for from the Tamiya kit. Yes, right? yes. And I think everyone's looking forward to it. So, yeah, it's, I think it'll be big. It'll be big. I like, think everyone's looking at this. Like, we, I took a lot of really close pictures and sent it to one of our friends in Ottawa because he's oh, a yeah? Corsair. Who is it? Oh, is uh, it a store? Chris, no, Chris Wallace. He runs okay. a blog called Model Airplane Maker. Okay. And he's just a Corsair junkie. Okay. <laughs> he, was, he was very impressed. In fact, he he asked us to steal the, the test shot off your, <laughs> oh, off your test table. Shot? <laughs> we declined. It's yeah, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lester, again, on behalf of all the all, all the podcasts out there, thank you for the donations to Mooseroo Cup. We really appreciate it. No, no, no problem. I always wanted to support you guys, man. All right. Thank you thank very you. much. All right. All right, guys, we are down to the nitty gritty now, and uh, I'm sure this is what uh, most folks may be curious about. Hopefully, they enjoyed the interviews. But what broke your wallet? I stole your thunder, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Evan, what broke your wallet? Uh, Actually, my wallet was not broken. I I didn't spend my entire budget at the show. I was. It's because you had an astronomical budget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all, all those big YouTube bucks. Yeah, both you and Mike are embarrassing me. So, what did you buy? I bought. Uh, I still bought like six kits, but I got some really, really good deals <laughs> on some of them. Actually, I didn't buy six kits. I I bought five, and I was very graciously given a kit uh, by someone who won it in a raffle and didn't want it. So, I don't even. I didn't get the guy's name. I don't know if he knew me for my youtube channel but some guy just walked up to me and said hey do you build armor i'm like yes take this kit i won it in the raffle and it's the dragon panzer one in the north africa scheme which is actually one of the models i had on display at this show it's always a vehicle that i am interested in i really love the early version of the panzer one because it's so dinky and I i love 1930s tankettes because they're all asymmetrical and funky so that's something i will definitely build uh in the future probably do it in the early war tricolor scheme and a German use, but I got a, a bunch of other dragon kits, Sturmpanzer, man, I'm already forgetting a, a Russian T90 and everything. And most importantly, I got that resin razor saw that you guys were, were recommending I buy. So that'll definitely help me in my forays into more, uh, more fancy resin conversions on my kits in the future. Just to be clear, the JLC saw is not made of resin. It's really good for cutting resin. <laughs> That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it it clearly pays off to be young and cute and an internet celebrity uh, or YouTube celebrity because uh, clearly that's why that guy handed you that kit. Yeah, I, I got a couple of other deals as well. People saying, you know, they'll give me a bit of a deal because I'm a younger modeler and, and they they see the benefit in helping the younger modelers carry on the hobby, which is always really appreciated. Um, maybe I look like I'm 15 years old sometimes, so that might help. <laughs> hey, don't knock it, man. I had that same thing go until I was like 30. Yeah, I really appreciate all the uh, all the vendors at the show. There were some really good deals to be had, and and I picked up a few things I was looking for. And not only that, it was great to talk to him. 
because we got to talk to the to the Lazy Dog guys, bassist by Bill guys, several other of the vendors, and they're they're really fun to talk to. What about you, Dave? What'd you get? Unlike you, I did actually spend some money at the at the Nationals. I ended up well. First of all, uh, Ben Pluth, uh, friend of the podcast, uh, longtime friend of Skippy and I, who lives up in Ohio wasn't able to go to the Nationals, but he was anxious to get uh, the 48-scale FM2 kit that Edward was releasing at the show. And uh, so he asked me if I would pick a couple up for him, which I did, so I got those for him. But for me, I got Edward S199 and an Edward uh, 109 F4, in both in 72nd scale, both very numeric approved, and so I was very comfortable purchasing those. And then, uh, as as we all, I think, noted, uh, squadron is back the 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 guys who bought the squadron name and the squadron ip that's now apparently based out of georgia they had an entire room set up like kind of a squadron warehouse and had tons of really good kits i spent some significant money with them on the tamiya f35 and the a couple of IBG double kits, including the uh, uh, Focke-Wulf 190 D9 and D11 from JV44. They were having a little trouble IT-wise that slowed down their checkout process, but they are great guys. Um, and, you know, I, I'm really happy to see the squadron name end up in the hands of people who clearly are intent on bringing it back as a name in the hobby. Because, Mike, you and I, when we were growing up, the the Squadron Signal Flyer was something that you looked forward to every month, and you went through it looking for the super special deals, trying to get it ordered before uh, they ran out. It just, I mean, it was a whole lot of a part of our modeling life and it was it's really good to see that in the hands of people who clearly clearly care about that so mike you spent an embarrassingly small amount of money and i'm almost afraid to be associated with you but (laughs) tell the folks what what little money you did spend and what you bought because at least one of your purchases to me was just kind of great I'm curious which one that was. You know which one that was. Well, I've already mentioned it. The the the, the biggest thing I purchased was the Matilda one from Vargas Models, the 3D printed kit of uh, that uh, pre-war, early war British tank, the first version of the Matilda. Um, nice little kit. I'm I'm anxious to see how that's going to go together, and uh, hopefully there's no Easter eggs in there that I'm going to regret my purchase. But I think it's going to be okay. The other thing I got from Squadron was uh, I got an SBD3 uh, Dauntless from Skyhawk, a kid I've been rubbing and wanting for a while. So uh, I finally picked that one up at the show. I haven't seen you're, it too many other shows, but I'm, I was glad to pick it up. You're a 72nd scale aircraft modeler now. Or collector, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing I picked up, Dave, I picked up a 1979 Airfix catalog. This is the one that I just... 
absolutely love. Rare, <laughs> Rare Plane Detective had a bunch of these old catalogs, and the nostalgia involved in leafing through the old Airfix catalog, it it was just kind of awesome. I was I was proud of you for shelling out the money that you shelled out to actually buy that thing. Nah, it was $12. It wasn't too bad. No. It's cheaper than Matilda 1. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and and you got to admit, leafing through that thing brought back all sorts. Because this catalog still had, it wasn't before the Federal Trade Commission forced model companies to stop putting illustrations on their box tops. And uh, they all used really good illustrators to do their box sure. tops. Yep. And so this catalog has all of those great Airfix illustrations that we all remember. Well, there's a book out there too of I can't remember the guy's name who did most of the Airfix box art. Roy Grinnell. Uh, I think it's No, it's Roy, but I don't think it's Grinnell. I'm pretty sure. Well, we'll 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 check. We'll fact check that and and but I don't I don't know how much is actually in that book as far as is it all in there? Possibly. I don't know. I think it's every illustration that he did. Well, that's probably worth picking up. But the, anyway, for twelve dollars I got this catalog and uh there was a matchbox one too that I'd like to have had, but uh typically the matchbox catalogs from there I I was picking those up as a kid were mostly photograph based, so it wasn't too exciting. So I left it. Jim Bates has that Airfix book, so we'll have to we'll have to talk to him about it because uh, he can he can tell us who the person is and what the book is like because I know he bought that. Well, let's hear from our friends at Bases by Bill. Getting the right sized base for your model, diorama, or vignette can be difficult and time consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom-sized display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches, you choose the dimensions you want and get the size you need every time. And they can laser engrave the base with a unit emblem or text all to your specifications. Better still, shipping is included within the lower U.S. 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their products or to get your own custom-built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 15% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 15% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. Well, when I dropped the uh, 12-minute model sphere, which we recorded on the road, the artwork for that was a spoof of album cover from a band called The Counting Crows, and, and the album title was uh, August and Everything After. Well, my spoof was August and Everything Awesome. And in keeping with that, at the show, when we trying to decide what we wanna, who we want to talk to at the show, uh, we're always looking for something awesome, either on a build table or... A particular vendor or whatever and i think uh if folks have been paying attention to the the models at the show that are being posted to facebook and other areas of the internet um they noticed a group build that was put together by the friends of a deceased modeler where they had completed his half-started models and it was a really a really awesome thing and when we saw this we just 
really wanted to find these guys and to tell their story. And uh, it took me a while to track them down. I can flip up the the entry sheet and get a name. I was having a hard time finding somebody that knew them outright because it's a it's a big show, right? There's there's hundreds of people there. And finally, I just put a, a mojo sticker down and a little note uh, addressed to the entrant and uh, told them to come by the table. And eventually they did. And I'm so glad they did. So Dave, uh, this is our interview with the, the gentleman who put together the, the Face Davis group build, Mr. Steve Collins and George Hitchens. And uh, just a really, really awesome story. So let's, let's let those guys tell their story. Well, Dave, this is going to be our last session of the day of the show. When we first got here, we were going around and trying to find things. Typically, we try to find builds we really like or things that are just cool for whatever reason. We were back in the group build section, group entries, and we noticed a tribute build where a bunch of guys had finished off some half starts and fits from from a, a fellow model who had passed away. And... Uh, we have a couple of gentlemen with us here who were part of that. Guys, why don't you introduce yourself, and uh, we'll go from there. My name is Steve Collins. My name is George Hitchens. Where and are you all from? I'm from Phoenix. And I'm from Noonan, Georgia. Okay. okay, well, that's a long way away. Well, our travels with Craig took us quite a ways, and he brought a lot of people from a lot of different areas. I had met Craig when we were in the Air Force in Alexandria, Louisiana. We were flying A-10s. And so okay. about 35 years ago, about 1987, and through Craig... I met Steve and everybody else and all the Phoenix crew. And so we've all traveled all over the place. And as we were talking about how Craig had initiated so much adventures through the things that we had done <laughs> through him, that he had had a friend named Roger that when they were in ROTC in college, Roger had a model contest because he was lazy. And because of his laziness, he decided to do something easy. He had a model contest. That's where he met Craig their friendship, so on and so on, leads to one person, leads to another. Okay. And so now we all know each other, and we've been doing this for decades. Steve, what's your, what's your side of it? Well, let's back up one thing. Let's let's talk about what the build is and who, who it was. Why don't you give us that information? Um, the build is, Craig saw a lot of squirrels in his life. He would, he would start a model, and then he would see something new, and he would... Put this model back in the box, slide it to the side, and go buy the new one. There's a, there's, a, there's a full name? Craig Davis. Craig Davis. And he had a nickname? Face. Craig Face Davis. Yeah. And everybody thinks that his, his call sign uh, was from, like, the A-team. Okay. Because you kind of look like the guy, and he acted a lot, a lot like the guy, and he could talk you out of your shorts. <laughs> but... Um, it's actually because he, his brother, and his dad would all make the same face. The one that's on the picture back there in the back. And uh, that, so that's how the call sign came from. But he would he'd start a model, and he'd either run into a bump and put it in the box and put it aside, or he would see a new thing and put it aside. Uh, we would gather... I've, I've never heard of a modeler doing oh, that Oh, never. It's, it, it was a shock to me, a shock <laughs> to my system. And um, like we would get together at one of the local shops on the weekend to build, and he would be doing something and he go well new kit saturday and off you go <laughs> and come back with a new model and start it so when we went to gather his estate his 70 percent of his models were started oh wow and uh, when did he pass he passed september 8th last year okay 
September 8th of last mm-hmm. year. And we at, went, at how old? At 61 years old. Um, we went over to uh, in October to gather it up, and uh, it took us four days. He had a 2,700 square foot house, and he had models in every room of the house that he in various states of work, uh, except the kitchen, the bathrooms, and the master bedroom. The master bedroom had books in it, and uh, it took us four days to clean it out. Wow. So he, he's also an A-10 pilot? He was yeah. an A-10 pilot. We flew A-10s together, and there wasn't a whole lot to do in Louisiana. So okay. we're going to the local model club at the hobby shop. We go to meetings up in uh, Bossier, Louisiana, or Shreveport, or anywhere that we could find because there wasn't much. So going over to Craig's house, he would have all these unbuilt models. And I would look at him, and I thought he did such a great job. And I would be just admiring it. And he's like, uh, I'm bored. It's yours. <laughs> what? Real, for reals? And he would Most just generous give me guy stuff. So I would build a lot of his things. And over the years, he would come to my house, look at my collection. He goes, well, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. <laughs> and the genesis of this and what really led to this, and I'm not trying to take credit no. for it, but... When uh, a very, very dear friend of mine passed away, Brady Hales, in 2012. And his son had given me a completed, partially completed kit of a B24 148 scale monogram that had been started. And and I loved Brady like a brother. And as I loved Craig like a brother that I'd never had. And so what I decided I wanted to do is, like, I want to finish this for Brady. But not in my style. This is not my project. I'm finishing this for Brady. So he liked nose art, and he liked camouflage, so I camouflaged it. I found nose art. I put his name under the canopy rail, and as I'm doing it, it became very emotionally satisfying to do something to as a tribute and as a remembrance to my friend, and it's now one of my favorite pieces in the collection. That's nice. What's your take, Steve? <laughs> one thing, we wanted to see something that Craig's finished. <laughs> which, which is that's not really true uh, he had display cases all over his house full of stuff and he did great great work um, he was a backward modeler with armor you know most guys build the hull build the top build the turret build the gun do the gun then go oh damn here it comes and they have to do the road wheels and the track he started with the road wheels and the track we could we'd take road trips guy trips you know, to California or wherever. And he would spend the entire time sitting in his seat with a box in his lap and a sanding stick and sand road wheels for the entire trip. And then when he'd get back home, he'd do the tracks for that one. Okay. So it, when we pulled these things out, it was a matter of, oh, look, there's that's done. That's done. The yucky that's part's done. done. Yeah. <laughs> and then he had a fascination for group bills for some reason. Which seemed the perfect avenue for us to take, make it a group build, okay, and finish but, some of his projects. And, but part of that too was I, I know I had gotten so much personal satisfaction from finishing Brady's B twenty four that I suggested to the guys who they're talking about. Oh my God, he's got so many unbuilt kits. I said, guys, trust me on this one. Take a kit, build it, finish it for him. It will mean a lot to you. You'll have a connectivity. You know, to yeah, his DNA, to yours, and it'll be something that will have deep meaning to you. So I started that idea, but then these guys ran with the idea of turning it into a, a group build, and then our dear friend Bill Dunkel decided to make this challenge coin, which we had in the Air Force, 
sayings that related to Craig, things that he did. His, so for wow. us, this was part of it. This was our tribute at this show because he's been such a big part of our lives with him. Yeah. To go to shows, go to contests. And so this is our last contest with him. And to put his things in there. It's interesting because I just divert a little bit to group builds in general. We don't have a, we don't participate well in group builds because it's usually a topic we don't have a real high vested interest in. And it just seems like a drag by the time you get halfway into it. But with a guy that had that much started stuff, and I've seen, we've seen the display, and we'll put some more pictures of it up on our Facebook and stuff. Somebody got to go in there and pick something they probably would have liked to build. Yeah. <laughs> and, we we spread it around to the the people who knew Craig. Okay, and, um, we're, we tried to. We initially we were going to keep it, you know, kind of close held to people who were good friends with Craig because a lot of everybody knew Craig uh, in in our area. But um, we also talked about it with some other friends, some Amps guys, and they went. We would love to participate. They did. Uh, um, Four of the models that we have in there are from the Amps guys. Okay. And everybody, you know, how, with most group builds, you get 30 guys who say, yeah, I'll do it. And, 10 and you get 10 five. finish them. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're lucky, yeah. you get 10 to finish. Um, 11 guys said, yes, we will. Or 12 guys said, yes, we will. We had 11 finishers. Okay. So how many total kits were finished? Ooh, I'd have to go in there and count. Honestly, I don't know. I thought know. it was close to 30. It's, close, it's, it's fairly close, close to 30. So you had people building more than one? I built three. Okay. That explains George that. I built two. Two. And there are other multiples. Everybody, just about everybody built at least two. All right. Yeah. But of the two I built, they had a 20-year history. They sat on his kitchen table in Peoria. One was a big T-34 tank that the interior is spectacular, and unfortunately I couldn't leave the top off. And so I would ask him all the time, how's the T-34 going? Because, my God, it's so beautiful. And he just oh, got bored. I haven't bored. worked on it in a while. He, yeah, I haven't worked on it, and it would just drift away. So when this time came, like, I have to have that back. I have got to finish this because two decades we've talked about it. And same thing with the Forgotten Prisoner. He had painted up the back wall and done a beautiful job. The weathering on the what the guy's wearing is just phenomenal. But he just, just let it go. I was like, I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to finish it for you. And so it's got a 20 plus, his, 20 plus year history for it. And so everybody stepped up. I, I, think, said. I think everybody who built something, except maybe for the Amps guys, who, like I said, weren't close friends with Craig, has a, have a connection with the models they chose. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I had talked about uh, had talked about doing a group. He and I just doing a group build of BF one. Yeah, BF one tens and entering it at the nationals. That's that was the squadron he and I were going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I painted that one. Okay. Um, the the seventy second scale uh, Jagdpanzer four that's in there in Syrian markings. He and I, he's the one that showed me the picture that prompted that the fact that the Syrians in 1948 had Jagdpanzer IVs. So that's where that came from. And um, the the T-55 Egyptian one, I found him a picture of one in that paint scheme. So there's a connection there. And virtually all of them, except for a couple, were tied to either conversations with Craig about the subject or... An agreement with Craig, hey, we'll both build these. 
which he would start and not finish. <laughs> I have great sympathy. And the fun thing with Craig was it was one mood all the time. As we were talking about it, he was like everybody's little brother. Even though he's 60 years old, we all loved him. Sometimes he was that pain in the butt little brother. But eh, we're all that way. But grown guys were, you know, very emotional about this because everybody yeah. felt the connection to him. That's cool. Because yeah. he was that friend. He was your go-to guy. He's going to be the same guy. You know what you get. And wherever you're going to go, you're going to have a good time. Do you have any particular plan with what you are going to do with this this collection now that once the show's over? I mean, is there any they're going path? Back, they're going back to the guys who finished it. Oh, okay. The con- Each one will go back to the connection, person. right? So I'll, I've got the T thirty four, the Forgotten Prisoner, long history with it. The, yeah. The one that was really tough, I I couldn't look at it every day. The one that uh, our friend Bill Dunkel did with the figure that Craig had painted, but had it on a different base, and then Bill had it with him looking at the cemetery yeah. with the headstone. Heavy one. It's going to. Um, <clears throat> His good, good, longtime friend since high school, he's going to be the man who is going to be able to be the curator of that piece. And so all they're right. all going to, you know, good homes. They're not They're not going to be for sale at any price. This is all going to be no. our, our remembrance. Sure. Was there anything else you'd like to say about the, the man? Thank you for letting us, you know, tell his story a little bit. Yeah. He, he was loved by the, you know, the people he knew. He, was, he served his country as not only an NA-10 pilot, but as an F-16 instructor at Holloman. They had a great service for him. And so everybody who knew him, that picture that's in the other room, that's him. And right. so people know him, remember him, and remembering him is the big thing. As long as he's remembered, he's not forgotten. That's true. Well, we just thought it was a beautiful tribute, and we knew as soon as we saw it that we want to get these guys on and tell this story because it's that's very kind. It's of you. phenomenal, and you yeah. guys are clearly close friends right here in front of us. Uh, but your friendship to this man seems like a it's mountainous. It's it's a nice cap to a, a long friendship. Well, thank you guys. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank for you for the opportunity. The story. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank George and Steve for for identifying themselves and coming by the table and uh, sitting down with us for a few minutes there and, and, and telling us that story. I, I cannot tell you how moving that interview was. I can think of no better tribute from my modeling friends than when you pass, having them come in to help clean up and dispose of everything and taking those unbuilt kits, uh, especially if you were kind of famous for getting ha- kits half built and then moving on to something else. Uh, I can't think of a better tribute from a group of guys who, who clearly wanted to honor their friend. And, you know, then they get to take them home and have them on their shelf. And that's a constant reminder of the friendship that they had with that modeler. I just, I thought it was awesome. I was great. I was pleased to see they actually won an award with the, with the build as well. Um, that was, that was fantastic. Well, and it, it goes even further. I, I finally, I, I realized something as the, the days wore on at the show and I kind of saved that until now, but, uh, after we had met them, it became apparent where I'd seen them before on the vendor floor. 
So when we got to the first day of the vendor room, uh, there was a table full of guys selling a bunch of kits that had been started, but not yeah. finished. That was them. So if anyone out there bought one of those started kits from the gentleman clearing out the estate, you have one of face Davis's models and, uh, you can keep this going. Yeah. Finish it up and, and think, think of him when you do. Um, it, it just, again, it's a nice way for a modeler to live on in the memories of his friends. Evan, did you see that build? Yes, I did. And I also picked up one of those models, uh, the, the, partially started models in the vendor room because I found a Stug kit that had been just barely started and I didn't have that kit, but now I do. And I didn't realize at the time that that was part of the group build, but yeah, I didn't need his that until was, after our interview, I didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah. So it's really cool I, actually that I will be able to, to finish a model. That was one of his, I, I know Brandon Jacobs, agent 003, who helped us out, which we'll mention a little b- bit more here in a minute. Uh, he bought a big stack of those things. So. Yes, he did. So glad to see those go to good homes. Well, we're, we're at the end of this episode, and um, I'm assuming everybody has consumed their modeling fluid. Now, uh, Evan, I'm assuming that you're... Uh, alcoholless uh, flavored water <laughs> was acceptable. Yeah, uh, I don't want to drink if I'm sick, so I'm just having a little, a little bit of water here to keep myself hydrated, and this was sufficient for tiding me over while hanging out with you guys here recording the episode. Well, good. Well, good. Mike. Well, the Lukenbach Road Whiskey is a uh, a light whiskey. It's three years old. It's 88 proof, bottled in the Texas Hill Country. You know, it's a good sip. It's, uh, considering the age, it's a really good sip. It's, it's mostly, if not entirely corn. So it's a little sweet. Yeah. But it's really, really, really light. I mean, it's, it's, it's a straw colored. It's, it's not even amber colored. Yeah. Well, if you're going to have a young whiskey, I think one that leans corn and sweet is probably better than one that leans rye. Uh, it probably is. Yeah. But it's pretty good. So what do you got? How, oh, you got the Jeffersons. What do you think, man? I've had that. Uh, see, I should have had this long ago. This is a damn nice pour. As I said at the beginning, my my modeling fluid was uh, courtesy of uh, Derek Post. It was Jeffersons, which, uh, frankly, I should have had before now. It's an 82 proof, uh, 41% ABV uh, bourbon. And this is darn good. I'm here to tell you, I I could see this being a regular drink for me. Um, the only downside is I happen to know that it's not exactly cheap. Thank you, Derek. Uh, uh, we appreciate the gift. And uh, it was a good modeling fluid. I got no complaints. Guys, we're almost at the end of the episode. Do you have a shout-out for this episode? Go for it, Evan. My shout-out goes to everyone who just walked up to me and shook my hand and thanked me for my videos and just had a chat with me. Like I was talking about a little earlier, it means a lot to me that I can meet the people who 
I've made a difference too, and I've given back to the hobby, and it's helped them out a little bit. And uh, I, 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 it takes a lot of time to make my videos. I put a lot of effort into them, making them look a little more professional and everything recently. And I, I really appreciate some in-person, face-to-face uh, discussions with people telling me that they uh, that they like my my videos and they they appreciate the production I've put into them and all that good stuff. So. It means a lot to me. It was really great just being able to meet so many people at the show, and it makes me can't. It makes me not be able to wait for the next show because, oh man, this is just the best part of the hobby, isn't it? Yes, it <laughs> is. Mike. Well, first off, I want to shout out Mr. John Fluck, who we met at the at the show. Uh, he's joined the ranks of our Patreon contributors. If you'd like to be like John and make a contribution to uh, Plastic Model Mojo, you can go to www.patreon.com slash Plastic Model Mojo, and there you can uh, make a contribution from any amount from $1 on up, and uh, Patreon will manage that recurring contribution monthly for you. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution or manage your own recurring contribution, you can do that at PayPal www.plasticmodelmojo.com in the upper right hand corner of our website there's a heart icon it'll take you directly to our paypal link and uh folks uh the nationals is a good example the equipment we had to make that recording possible at the show has benefited from you guys contributions our hosting as our episodes get more frequent and a little longer it certainly helped as well we appreciate everything you guys have done to help us uh, along the way and uh, it's going to help us keep bringing you plastic model mojo for a long time so thank you very much Got a shout out, Dave. My shout out is to the San Marcos crew. Uh, listen, those shows don't just happen by themselves. Uh, Lynn Pilhofer, Rob Booth, uh, uh, JB, uh, and all of the San Marcos crew that both planned and executed the, the show and also, uh, the guys who actually were there day to day doing either security or registration or making sure that the seminars went off. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff to make a Nationals happen, and those guys mostly work in the background thanklessly. So I'd like to thank them here. Uh, Your work was recognized and appreciated, and we wouldn't have had this without you, and I'm looking forward to Madison. Well, I've got several, a couple more anyway. Go ahead. I want to shout out Brandon Jacob, Mojovian Special Agent 003, for all his fabulous suggestions. We got several comments back, and and including ourselves, took in a few places that he'd recommended and just made uh, our stay more enjoyable, being able to hit some local establishments and not uh, hit the chains like we so harped against in the run-up to the show. It was a good, It was good food. I enjoyed it. It, oh, it was. was really, really good. Anybody else got another one? Nope. Well, I'm also going to sh- shout out the voice of Bob, Mr. Bob Bear from Charlotte, North oh. Carolina. Uh, Bob did a stupendous job emceeing the podcast roundtable during the seminar schedule. We had a good time doing that. And the, the caricatures he provided all the participating podcasts was just uh, icing on the cake. It was actually at the front end. We got the dessert yeah. first. Yes, we uh, did. He- and I'm, I'm here to tell you that is one of the favorite, my favorite things I ever got at a national i just i i continue to be amazed uh i i'm surprised that apparently i do a modeling podcast with christian slater but (laughs) (laughs) or bono some people say bono but Uh, that that was just awesome thank you bob (laughs) 
Bob had some nice entries at the show with his his A bomb models, yes. but uh, I hear he got TS'd in the A on the way home and uh, <laughs> <laughs> had a little damage. Bob, yes. I hope uh, I hope that's recoverable. That really sucks, man. But yeah. your your only consolation is it happened after the show. Absolutely, yeah. those were beautiful models, and Bob did win an award. So I know he did. That's, I, that's, I was thrilled. That's that's tough, man. And just. Add Bob to the list of folks we know who've had uh, TSA disasters yes. on the way to the National Convention. Or foreign security elements yep. have also wrecked a few along the way. So be careful, folks. Uh, get online and look at some uh, packaging suggestions, but uh, sometimes there's only so much you can do. Yes. The gorillas are strong. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys, before we wrap this one up? We're getting to the end here, Mike. I know we are. Evan, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me on as always. And Dave, as we always say, so many kids, so little time. Until next time, guys. Evan, I don't know when we're going to see you again. Hair just gone, I hope. For sure. I hope it's soon. All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye-bye.